Take This Seriously Media presents the Uncommon Truth Podcast, where what you do know by common knowledge can hurt you. We live in a world where a serious, intentional intellect leading the masses astray counts on you to follow along. Get the tools to equip yourself with the uncommon truth you need to not be taken by this intellect. Are you ready to take this seriously? This is episode seven of our journey podcast series entitled The Name. In today's podcast, we're going to examine the name that is ingrained into the hearts and minds of millions of people as being above every name. The name that is said to cause demons to tremble. The name that for some is the most endearing source of consolation and reassurance. And for others, the most discarded and despised, triggering contempt and outrage. The name that is the single most polarizing and universally recognizable name there is, the name of Jesus Christ. What are the specifics of how the two words, Jesus, Christ, came into being? What was it originally derived from? And why is this so important? You may be surprised to learn what the aspects of that name say about our Bible today. Let's dive in. This podcast is brought to you by Tyvee B Creations. Tyvee B Creations features a wide variety of creations and designs from button earrings to fabric designs. Please be sure to visit their website and check out their newest journal designs on tyveeb.com. That's T-Y-V-E-E-B.com. This content is rated serious. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you with the tools to not be taken advantage of by those who understand the power of information but don't necessarily have our best interests. Please be sure to visit our website, takethisseriouslymedia.com, for free resources to further equip you with the uncommon truth you need. The uncommon truth. The first mention of the word Jesus in the Bible is no secret. If you have ever attended Sunday school class as a child or Bible study as an adult, then you're probably familiar with it. It is the account of the Immaculate Conception, or the birth of Jesus Christ, recorded in Matthew 1, 18 through 21 for your reference. I would like to focus specifically on verses 20 through 21. It reads as follows. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Let's analyze this for a moment. In this scripture reference, the angel of the Lord gives very clear instructions to Joseph on what the name of the child should be, saying, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. There are two points that I want you to consider. Number one, the angel never instructed Joseph to give the child a last name. In fact, it's rare that we see any people referenced in the Bible with what we would consider to be a last name or a surname. 
This is because people in the Bible were known primarily by a single given name. And for cases where others had the same given name, there had to be some method of disambiguation to distinguish one person from another. For us, the primary method of disambiguation is to specify a first name and last name for each person. But the primary method of disambiguation for most people in the Bible was to provide an additional piece of information along with their given name. This in many cases would be their parents' name, their occupation, or where they're from. For example, Joshua is introduced in the Bible as Joshua, son of Nun. John, the forerunner of Christ, was called John the Baptist. And Mary, that was from Magdala, was called Mary Magdalene. The point is, when we hear someone say Jesus Christ, we tend to assign Jesus as his first name and Christ as his last name. However, the angel clearly instructed Joseph to assign the child a single name that was supposed to identify his purpose. The angel said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. According to the angel, the word Jesus was all that was needed to properly distinguish him from others due to its meaning. But let's think about this for a moment. I use the King James Version of the Bible for all of the scripture references I provide in this podcast. Many of us understand that this version, the King James Version, is an English translation of the original Hebrew text. But what many people don't understand and may also take for granted is that the language and the climate of the indigenous people of that day greatly affected what we see today as the Bible. The indigenous people I'm talking about, of course, are the people of Israel or the Hebrews. It's unfortunate, but ever since the decline of the kingdom of Israel, which is most notably earmarked by the split of the kingdom into two, see 1 Kings 11, 31 through 35 for your reference, the kingdom of Israel began a descent into perpetual turmoil and bondage. And this continued from that time into the New Testament and persisted afterwards, continuing even into present day. Incidentally, during the time of the New Testament, the land of these indigenous people, or the Hebrews, had already been conquered by the Greeks for literally hundreds of years. Although the indigenous people still spoke Hebrew, the official language of the land was Greek, and had been so for centuries. We can relate this to, say, exclusively Spanish-speaking communities that exist in the U.S., where the official language of the land is English. However, the issue was that scripture text was written in Hebrew, so because the official language of the land was Greek, significant efforts were made by the Greeks to translate those Hebrew texts into their own language. So what we know today as the King James Version of the New Testament is actually a translation of the Greek translation of the original Hebrew scripture text. Here's the problem. The Greeks took several liberties in their work of translation. Let's go back to the words of the angel, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. If what we're reading is a pure translation, then this scripture means that the word Jesus means Savior or salvation. This is not the case. It is his Hebrew given name, Yeshua, that actually translates to mean salvation, not Jesus. The Uncommon Truth. The reality is, 
The word Jesus is not a translation from anything in the original scripture text. You'll hear me say many times in previous podcast episodes that Yeshua HaMashiach is the Hebrew given name of Jesus Christ. So how did the word Jesus get into the scripture text that we read today? The answer may raise your eyebrows. The Greeks took conscious and deliberate measures to create an ecumenical form of the holy scriptures that all Greeks could embrace. You have to understand the political climate and the mindset of the Greeks of those times. The Hebrews were a conquered people, and the word Yeshua is inexplicably a Hebrew word. So this translates politically to mean that the concept of salvation is exclusive to Hebrews. In fact, Jesus Christ, or by his Hebrew given name, Yeshua HaMashiach, himself confesses in John 4 verse 22 that salvation is of the Jews, Jews here meaning Judeans. The Greek mindset that resulted was one of contempt. How dare these Judeans, these Hebrews, command exclusivity to something as fundamental to all as salvation? How dare these conquered people exhibit such arrogance in making themselves the single point of entry? What we'll do is, instead of purely translating this particular text, we'll transliterate the word salvation into something more user-friendly, something ecumenical, something that can be accepted by all Greeks. What we'll do is subtly remove Hebrew exclusivity from the concept of salvation. So what the Greeks did was they granted themselves a transliterated form of the name of the child referred to by the angel. And this results in the name Jesus. Now salvation can be freely embraced by all Greeks. Now salvation is no longer tied down to the Hebrew language or Hebrew customs. And as we know from history, this ploy was successful. The name Jesus Christ is the most universally recognized name in the world. Just to emphasize this, let's make crystal clear exactly what the Greeks consciously did in their translation of the New Testament. When referring to the transfer of information from one language to another, there are three methods of translation. The first method is translation itself, which simply means to preserve meaning between languages by exchanging the original word from one language with the translated form of that word in the other language. For example, the word Yeshua in Hebrew means salvation in English. So if we were translating from Hebrew to English, we would no longer use Yeshua, we would use the word salvation. The second method is transcription which means to preserve the original pronunciation of a word in one language into the other language opposed to preserving only meaning. For example, Yeshua is the Hebrew pronunciation, and transcribing this word means we pronounce it the same way in English as Hebrew-speaking individuals pronounce it. And the third method is transliteration, which means to create a nominal label of a word in one language to represent that word in another language. In doing so, you perform a letter-to-letter -letter correspondence between the alphabets of the two languages to create a superficial label to represent that original word in the new language. It's important to note that the new word label never existed until the transliteration process was performed. For example, 
Comparing the Hebrew alphabet to the Greek alphabet, you can take the Hebrew word Yeshua and transliterate it into the Greek language, resulting in the new Greek word Isus. Keep in mind that the newly created Greek label Isus never existed in the Greek language until just then, and it was used by the Greeks to represent the Hebrew word Yeshua. By the same token, Transliteration was also performed on the same word from Greek to Latin, resulting in the new Latin word Iesus. Again, the newly created Latin label Iesus never existed in the Latin language until just then, and it was subsequently used by the Romans to represent the original Hebrew word Yeshua. And finally, transliteration was performed on the same word from Latin to English, resulting in the new English word, Jesus. And again, the newly created English label, Jesus, never existed in the English language until just then, and it was subsequently used by English-speaking peoples to represent the original Hebrew word, Yeshua. Now, I understand that this is a highly technical discussion, so let's make this abundantly clear. If we were to apply all three methods of translation to the angel's words recorded in scripture and use them on the word he gave for naming the child, the following would be the result. Translation, thou shalt call his name salvation, for he shall save his people from their sins. Transcription, thou shalt call his name Yeshua, for he shall save his people from their sins. And transliteration. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The reason I'm bringing these points to light is that the insertion of the word Jesus was completely unnecessary to relay the truth of the original scripture text. It was completely superfluous, even reckless, of the Greeks to take such a presumptuous action concerning the translation of Holy Scripture. Believe it or not, however, I understand the objection some would have that these technicalities shouldn't matter because we know who we're talking about. But the problem is, they do matter. Any conscious decision to interfere in the relaying of God's holy word should be inexcusable. This was a conscious decision made by the Greeks to interfere in the translation of Holy Scripture and replace the immaculate state of the Hebrew text with their tarnished Version. The uncommon truth. So what about the word Christ? This leads into the second point I wanted you to consider. The angel never specified a last name for the child as if to give him the name Jesus Christ. However, people generally understand that the word Christ means anointed one. And it is indeed customary to say Yeshua HaMashiach, where the word Mashiach is another word for Messiah, which also means anointed one. So the word Christ seems to make sense. But this begs the question, since the words Christ and Messiah both mean anointed one, why was the word Christ the preferred choice to become canonized in the scripture translation rather than the word Messiah? Again, the answer may raise your eyebrows. When we look at the word Christ, immediately, the startling realization jumps out. The word Christ is not an English word, nor is it a Hebrew word. It is a Greek word with Greek origins. Many people don't realize that there have been several Christs memorialized in Greek culture. 
Remember, during the writing of the Hebrew scripture texts of the New Testament, the Hebrews were a conquered people, subjected to a pre-existing, prevailing Greek culture. What people don't realize is the Greek culture had already contained well-established ancient pagan deities who were considered to be anointed ones thousands of years before the Messiah of the Hebrews was born. One example is the Greek pagan deity Serapis Christ. This pagan deity originated as a creation of ancient Greek priests as an offshoot from the 5th century BCE Egyptian pagan deities Osiris and Apis and became subsequently memorialized by the Greeks. It is unavoidable. According to the Greeks, this deity was a Christ. So although the word Christ means anointed one, it is actually a Greek language transcription onto canonized scripture. Remember the idea behind transcription. You preserve the original pronunciation of a word from one language into another language. This is the principle behind the word Christ. We in the English language pronounce it the same way Greek-speaking individuals pronounce it. So Christ is not an English word. It has been transcribed from Greek, and canonized scripture uses that pronunciation. Again, I understand the objections some may have that these technicalities shouldn't matter because we know who we're talking about in the person of Jesus Christ. But the problem is, they do matter. The problem with the word Christ is that it carries baggage from the Greek culture. And this brings us to the realization that the word Christ is a completely unnecessary and presumptuous act of Greek interference, tarnishing the immaculate state of the words of Hebrew scripture text. The Bible is supposed to be maintained as a pure translation of the original Hebrew writings, but there's nothing Hebrew about the word Christ. While we find ourselves speaking the Greek language when we refer to the Hebrew savior of the world, it's no coincidence. Remember the political climate and the mindset of the Greeks of those times. The Greek mindset was one of contempt for those arrogant Judeans who supposed themselves to command exclusivity, making themselves the single point of entry for something as fundamental to all as salvation. But the reality is, exclusivity is important to God. Whether you realize it or not, the entire Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, is solely about one group of people, the family of Israel, or the Hebrews. And it is God's formula that through the seed of Abraham, which is, of course, Israel, that the entire world be blessed. See Genesis 22, verse 18 for your reference. That sounds like single point of entry to me. Unfortunately, there are those who have a problem with God's formula of exclusivity. But the truth is, the 70 Greek individuals responsible for translating the New Testament of the Bible took conscious and blatant liberties to diminish the Hebrews as the apple of God's eye, using subtleties to remove their standing of exclusivity concerning the concept of salvation and insert their own tarnished ecumenical version of what we trust as the translation of the Holy Scripture. The Uncommon Truth. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Truth Podcast from our friends at Take This Seriously Media. Please be sure to visit our website, takethisseriouslymedia.com for free resources to expand your Uncommon Truth Toolkit.